This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser on Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you for joining me for another week, for another episode on Reform This. This is the place where I think you'll find that voice, that voice that you will not hear anywhere else of a Muslim reformer, a Muslim that takes ownership, a Muslim that believes that we need to be contrite of the work that we have to do in the Muslim community against Islamism, against political Islam as being the root cause of the evil that is militant Islamism, not only domestically, but globally. And week to week, I've had the honor, I've had the privilege of bringing you this podcast. And for those of you that are subscribers, thank you, thank you, thank you for being a part of this show. And I hope now, this is my 53rd episode, Uh, I hope now into the second year uh, we will... Join each other together in broaching uh, even larger divides, trying to bridge that divide between the land of freedom and the West, the land of liberty, the land of Jeffersonian principles of religious liberty, the land in which John Locke, Madison, and others taught us how to found the greatest nation in the world. And Ultimately, as I've talked to you from week to week, we have shared together the struggles, the pains, the dreams of what could be a more peaceful world, what could bring national security, what could be some of the solutions for this cancer that plagues, I believe, a quarter of the population of the world, which are Muslim. We have a cancer within. I don't believe it's the entire faith. I don't believe it's my Islam, but it is certainly, for those who are honest, a version, if not the dominant version of Islam around the planet, which is a theocracy, which is one that rejects liberty, which rejects secularism, which rejects reason. And week to week, I have talked to you about changes in foreign policy, about Turkey, about Saudi Arabia, about prisoners of conscience like Rafe Bedoui like Fatima Nawut from Egypt and Cairo. We've talked about Ramadan and holidays and interfaith differences, similarities, 
we've shared the pains of acts of terrorism that have struck us, struck our nation. We've talked about the division, the larger identity groups that are separating and ripping our nations apart. We talked about Brexit and what it meant for nationalism and what it meant for the fight against Islamism. We've shared laughs. We've shared a few tears. I've given you a little bit of insight into my origins, my interpretations of my faith. I've been honest with you to tell you about some of the struggles on both sides of the political aisle spectrum, if you will, from those who on either side of the equation want to look at Islam as one, want to either say that all Muslims are peaceful and there is no problem, it's just a crime, psychiatric problem, or those who think that all Muslims are either terrorist or terrorist in waiting and Islam is monolithic, and thus both sides viewing in, an, in their extreme Islam as a racial identity, as an immutable ideology, no different than the Black Lives Matter movement that views being African American as a singular ideological identity with little diversity. There's a lot more to talk about, and I cannot tell you how much your trust, your faith, your friendship means to me week to week. I try to find those stories that I think were not covered enough in major media and give you a little more in-depth conversation as you go about your day, your drive, your walk, your run. Whatever it is with those headphones in as you listen to this podcast. I know there's a lot of podcasts out there. And hopefully this year we'll bring to you maybe some interviews, some conversations with other reformers. I hope to continue to grow the podcast. And I want to thank Glenn Beck and Blaze Radio for their faith and their trust. And the ability to give me and all that we do a platform for the work of reformation, of counterterrorism, counter-Islamism, and the promotion, most importantly, of liberty and freedom to give that free market of ideas that can ultimately be the seed from which democracies can flourish, socialism, autocracy, and especially theocracy can die. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Now, this week, there's a few issues I wanted to talk about. One is we're going to spend a little time about this new data that the Islamist groups and the Southern Poverty Law Center, which often speaks like a hate group while naming other groups as hate, hate groups, <clears throat> and they're touting the huge spike in anti-Muslim hate crimes, so we're going to talk about that. I want to talk to you about... What happened in Indonesia? You and I have been following this this case of Ahok, the governor of Jakarta, who recently, as we discussed just last week, lost the election in Indonesia, lost it as the only Christian Chinese origin governor. But he was also put up 
for the crime of blasphemy. And this week, the court heard his case, and a verdict was rendered. And last, one of the most important questions I get is, was the Prophet Muhammad an Islamist? Now, many people think that, well, Zudi is somebody who loves his faith, and he's so devout and believes in the integrity of a devout Muslim and the Quranic scripture and this, the narrative of the Prophet Muhammad. So since he's so anti-Islamist, he must believe that the Prophet Muhammad was not an Islamist. And those in America that reject the term Islamism because they think Americans can't be savvy enough to separate terrorism from theocracy or Islamism, think that, well, Islamism always means terrorism. But the question that I get is, if Zudi believes Muhammad was an Islamist, then he must also be an Islamist or doing taqiyya or lying. And if he doesn't believe Muhammad was an Islamist, then he can't really be Muslim because he rejects the narrative of the Prophet Muhammad. So we're going to answer that question today. Was Muhammad... Was the Prophet Muhammad an Islamist? Fascinating question. So first, anti-Muslim hate crimes. The Council on American-Islamic Relations, no surprise, was touting what they believe is this grand spike in hate crimes. And they cited a 57% increase in anti-Islam bias incidents in the United States, including hate crimes, harassment, and discrimination. Mind you, this is from the same group who this week also put out a release demanding a special prosecutor to investigate the firing of FBI Director James Comey. Here is a group that has no qualms in exposing its its pathetic, self-righteous indignation and, and how pathetically it is a political organism in which for years they have constantly worked against every operation, every program that the FBI has had. And now these Islamists that have tried to undermine national security and the work of the FBI from the Holy Land Foundation trial on now comes to the defense of James Comey? It's clear that the Council on American-Islamic Relations is simply an Islamist political propaganda organization which seems to operate and put forth memes and ideas that simply seem to help the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, these 56 Muslim-majority dictatorships and their dictators divide and weaken and put America on defense. And what more, what can be more effective in putting America on the defense than propagating the belief through data that there's been a 57% increase in anti-Islam bias incidents in the United States. And then they say this coincides with the rhetoric of Trump 
the campaign and especially the Republicans as they endear themselves to the Democrats. And last week, you know, you and I talked about how the Islamists have come out full force writing op-eds in Hartford, Connecticut, and in Dallas and in the Washington Post about how Muslims should vote in block and become as powerful as a voting block racializing Islam, racializing Muslims, that we should come together and vote as one. (laughs) That is the definition, the quintessential definition of political Islam and Muslim Brotherhood type platforms and parties. So when we come back, I want to talk to you about this data that CARE put out. What does it show? What does it mean? And also get to the truth about, yes, there has been an increase in xenophobia and some anti-Muslim bigotry. What is that from? And what do we do about it? This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. Reaching the fault lines of today, this is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Udi Jasser on Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you for joining me this week. Thank you for coming back. And in this 53rd episode, a year, I can't believe it's been a year that I've been on Blaze Radio. It is an honor. And it's always great to be with you. Tell your friends about Reform This. Tell other hopeful or prospective Muslim reformers to join along. And for you non-Muslims out there trying to understand what we're up against, thank you. Thank you for helping me get the message out and build a larger platform. Now, this report by the Council on American-Islamic Relations, which came out earlier this week, cited 2,213 incidents of what they described as bias, anti-Islam bias incidents. 57% increase from 2015. They said the incidents increased 5% from 14 to 15, but 57% in 16. The report simply punctuates, and listen to this, (laughs) this from Al Jazeera, Corey Saylor, Al Jazeera, the Qatar, the Qatari propaganda arm from the royal family of Qatar. The report simply punctuates what we already knew that prejudice in America has seen a resurgence in the last couple of years, said Corey Saylor, director of the Department to Monitor and Combat Islamophobia at CARE and the primary author of the report. Do you want anything more Orwellian than that? The Department to Monitor and Combat Islamophobia. 
It said that the acceleration and bias incidents was due in part to Trump's anti-immigrant rhetoric and focus on armed groups such as ISIL. Wow, so the focus on ISIL is Trump's fault. It's not ISIL's fault. It's not the fault of the radical Islamists, Muslims on television, who all care can do is send out press releases against. No, it's not the fault of those radical Muslims. No, it's the candidate's fault for highlighting ISIL. And what more evidence do you want that these these Islamists bake their data than to say that it punctuates what he already knew. Talk about living in a bubble and in a cocoon. Now we make some assumptions based on media penetration, based on what we hear anecdotally, but this is not a, a reproducible study. Pew conducts studies with tens if not hundreds of thousands of dollars with polling that is reproducible and we can look at some of that data and talk about some of the the increase in fear of Islam, the increase in attention to Muslims. Yes, there is some palpable increase in lack of positivity. Some of the Pew polls showed that 33% of Muslims, I'm sorry, 33% of Americans feared Islam after 9-11. This was in 2001, polling, if not early 2002. And then 10 years later in 2012, 60%, upwards of upper 50s, had fear of Islam. And now it's probably even higher. Those are legitimate points of information. Not by an Islamist lobby group that puts its heaviest in interviews into foreign Islamist media like Al Jazeera, which if you take any day of the week, the Islamist propaganda pushed out by groups like CARE, which in the name of civil rights hijack our community to give us a siege mentality, and ultimately... If Muslims aren't afraid, they become far more afraid just by listening to care. I believe that their victimization mantra of siege mentality that we're under attack from the other 350 million Americans, that the 3, 4 million Muslims should be on guard for the, the hate. And you saw the video this week, for example, of the lady in the grocery store that started to go off a little bit on Muslims. Now, she said that she was misunderstood. And the hijabi in the picture then made sure that the video got, got out there and CARE puts it out there. Just like last year, CARE took a picture of a little hole-in-the-wall deli in New Mexico that said no Muslims allowed. And next thing you know, it's on the front page of El Arabiya, the Saudi-owned newspaper, radicalizing millions upon millions of Muslims to believe that America is all about hating Muslims. And why is it that every week, we see this data pushed out by Islamists in America and Jewish organizations that have higher numbers of anti-Semitism that exist in America with graffiti, with desecration of Jewish cemeteries, with threats being called to synagogues, bomb threats 
on and on, increasing. And I don't see press releases coming out from the ADL, from APAC, from Jewish organizations teaching their communities to be under siege. Yes, they do strong work in representing American values against anti-Semitism and educating Americans to live up to their true core values of diversity and interfaith cooperation and equal respect. And yes, they call out the haters and some of the best work in America against Nazi Aryan hate groups and others have been done by the ADL. Stand with us and other American Jewish organizations. But they aren't putting out press releases constantly trying to exaggerate or even inflame or exploit certain incidents that may happen. It comes from other media, not from them. But the Islamist agenda isn't really about fixing the problem. It's about exploiting the cultural divisions, collectivizing Muslims into that siege group that then circles the wagons, allows the Islamists to control us, and then creates a large chasm and divide into the other 350 million Americans that fear us more. That's what this data is about. Now, is the data real? That's the second thing. I don't, I think it's exaggerated. We need real data, real polling that looks at Muslim, that looks at the way Americans look at Muslims with fair questions. Yes, there's no doubt that things have gotten worse, but in the next part, I'm going to talk about why did that really happen. But I do we really believe that it's as 57% and it's and that they call that a 57% increase, but the total numbers still there's no proof that it's any more than the acts against other minorities like the Jewish community or the Hindu, or the Sikh community. But the Islamists are getting all the attention. Why? Because they're tapping into the guilt complex that Americans have to truly live up to their values. So especially the liberals will spend 95% of their time about making sure they're not guilty of discrimination against Muslims, which I don't believe they are. But they'll spend the time making sure that they check the box of protection of minorities. And then 5% will be spent about terrorism and other issues, but making sure they don't call it Islamic or Islamist or Muslim-related terrorism. And then you wonder why we can't address the ideology. Yes, there's some palpable bigotry that exists. Yes, xenophobia has increased. Yes, any of you who follow me here in the last year know that I was very critical of the inability of candidate Trump to articulate any difference between Muslims and Islamists. I was critical of his inability, his his interview in, in CNN, for example, where he said, Islam hates us. Not only did he anthropomorphize a faith, an idea, into some type of human characteristics, but 
it really didn't educate America on the platform that he has of the threat of Islamism and the need to work with those Muslims to reject theocratic political Islam that dominates so many Muslim nations and dominates the Muslim organizations domestically because of their foreign origins. There was an opportunity to educate and he missed that. Yes, that is problematic and that has played a role. But I will tell you first, second, third, fourth, and fifth reasons as to why Americans continue to fear Islam more, why some xenophobia increases, is because we Muslims are asleep. We have handed over the reins of the conversation about Islam to the extremists in society from the far left that wants to believe there's no Muslims that are any problem, that it's all simply crime, and the far right on some of whom that believe that Islam is all one and that ultimately the only way to defeat it is through either conversion or some type of defeat of the entire Islamic world, which would not democratize. 98% of America somewhere in the middle looking for that solution. And unless Muslims can lead that solution, these numbers are going to continue to divide and balkanize our societies more and more. And this is why I have always said at our American Islamic Forum for Democracy that the best way to melt away some of the xenophobia that's growing is for Americans to see us lead the battle, become invaluable, unreplaceable assets in the war against political Islam and the need for us to reform from within the House of Islam and uproot the roots of terrorism that are based in theocracy, misogyny, anti-Semitism, supremacism of Islamic law over any other law, a rejection of reason, a rejection of modernity. All these things can only happen just like it did for our founding fathers, in which Christians, believers in God, rejected theocracy, embraced reason, and embraced liberty. That is what I believe is the only way to melt away some of the growing xenophobia that exists. Yes, it does exist. And I think that we need to stop the belly aching, stop the focus of the bandwidth of our attention upon always just complaining about numbers, taking videos in a grocery store like that woman this week that was labeled as being anti-Muslim. The Southern Poverty Law Center has labeled, they say on their front page, an increase from 34 anti-Muslim groups to 101. And then you look through the list, there may be some legitimately hateful groups, but for the most part, many of them are simply anti-jihad groups, like the Clarion Project, who I advise, or like the Center for Security Policy. Sure, some people might disagree with some of their positions, but to label those groups as hate groups is not only un-American, it is dishonest and part of an Islamist operation. This is exactly what the Assad regime does, the Khomeinists do to their enemies, what the Muslim Brotherhood and the Salafists of Saudi Arabia, the Wahhabis do. They label their enemies in a way, their ideological threats, they label them in a way that doesn't look at the message, but simply marginalizes the messenger. And that's exactly what they're doing. So, look at that data. 
Embrace reformers. Yes, look at solutions. But don't allow yourself to all of a sudden as an American or as a Westerner to feel guilty just because you're beginning to be afraid of Islamism. I'm a Muslim, a devout Muslim loves my faith, and I have significant fear of Islamists running government, running society, and I was blessed to have parents that came to this country to allow me to grow up free. But that is not hate. Yes, there are some hate groups out there that you can see have labeled me as a liar and other things, but that is not what America is. Those are aberrations. Those are part of what America went through in rejecting in the civil rights movement in the South, in uh, the movements to defeat anti-Semites in America. Yes, we are no different. We aren't protected from that xenophobia, but it is no different. There has been no spike of only against Muslims. It is part of the struggle right now within the West of nativism, nationalism versus liberty, freedom, and collectivism. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This, and we'll be right back. Breaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the Chris Salcedo Show. There is no criminal investigation right now being conducted by the Federal Bureau of Investigation. There is no criminal investigation. And it's time the FBI confirmed to the American people that that is the case. Because the Democrats are able to make too much hay out of this and rely on the ignorance of their base. And there's plenty of ignorance in their base to go around, as many of you know. The Chris Salcedo Show. Weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern. On the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Talked about a lot in regard to the issue of bigotry, of Islamism, and what we Muslims should be leading and doing. That's in America. Something happened this week that brought to a sad, sad conclusion, a story that we've been following here on my podcast, which is the story of Jakarta's Chinese Christian governor. Chinese Christian governor. Remember, Indonesia is 88, 89% Muslim. Over 200 plus million people in Indonesia, the largest Muslim country on the planet. Yes, not all Arabs are Muslims and not all Muslims are Arabs. Indonesia is the largest Muslim country and it is a democracy. It has gone through independence and democratization and its constitution actually is one of those shining lights of possibility of promise that it could protect itself, we thought, from Islamism. Because on paper, it reads that being Indonesian is not connected to being Muslim. That there is a separation of mosque and state. That the national identity and contract of being Indonesian is a separate identity protected by the courts. And fast forward to this week. Jakarta's governor 
Mr. Basuki, Jahaja Purnama, commonly known, affectionately known as a hawk, was sentenced, sentenced to two years in prison. Now we talked about how offended we were as anti-Islamist Muslims. As You know, I visited, I had the honor to visit Indonesia a few years ago as a member of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. And it's always been amazing to me that we had to put Indonesia on the list of nations that are now called Tier 2 lists. Nations on the way to becoming Tier 1, which is those of the most significant concern. Countries of particular concern regarding religious freedom. In Indonesia, because of a number of issues there related to treatment of Christians, related to minorities and other things, we were concerned. And things sadly seem to be slipping backwards and slipping down the hill of Islamism. Ehok, when he was elected governor, represented possibly what the future could mean for a much more, even more pluralist Indonesia. But this was also a challenge. This is why when you're fighting Islamism, you not only have to get the initial victories, but you need the follow-through. You need not only the initial win, but the societal, civil society changes that begin to confront Islamists and put them on the defense. Because once they get threatened, which is what happened when this Christian... Chinese, a hook was elected governor. They started to rally and find reasons to put him on the defense. Next thing you know, within a year, some of his commentary in which he actually tried to give a more moderate commentary on a chapter in the Quran, a verse that talked about Jews in which he said that that interpretation that says that Muslims are not to befriend them or trust them is not correct, or that actually the passage was about Muslims not becoming controlled or led by Jews and Christians, that that passage can be interpreted much differently. Which is something we would say here on this program, on Reform This. That is something, that is one of this that needs to be reformed, is the interpretation, just as he brought up. But no, The Islamist said, who is he to interpret this moderately? And they call that blasphemy, that he demeaned their scripture. And that blasphemy, that declaration of heretical interpretations, especially, they said, since it came from a non-Muslim, means that it is blasphemy and will be shut down. And he was put on charges The court agreed to hear it. We protested. I talked about how I couldn't believe that this sitting governor had to be put through this when he was actually intending it for good faith. In April, the prosecutors had called for the blasphemy court counts to be dropped in exchange for a lesser charge of spreading hate. Oh, geez. But the judges appeared to have ignored that recommendation. He was put on trial back in December over accusations that he insulted Islam while campaigning for re-election, as I just told you. And CNN further reported that the blasphemy law has been a blight on the rule of law and democracy in Indonesia for decades. This is from the Australian National University professor Greg Feely. 
He said that the fact that a hawk was charged at all was really a product of massive street demonstrations that frightened the government into acting. There's been growing conservatism and religious tolerance has been challenged by the Islamist movements. Don't underestimate what this means to us as Americans. The Islamist not only ended up defeating him, and as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, Ehok lost the election because of this undermining of his reputation. Now, I think the silver lining is that he got 41-42% of the vote. But the deep defeat we took as secularists, as those who reject Islamism, and I say we, I mean, this is a global battle. I didn't talk to anybody in Jakarta or Indonesia, but we are all in this together. What do you think is going to happen if the Islamists continue to win more and more marginalizing the secularists and Indonesia turns from a democracy into a theocracy? Can you say Turkey? Turkey, that's what's happening in Turkey. What do you think is going to happen to the security of the world and the movements of radical Islamism and the arming of radical groups that are offshoots of these so-called peaceful Islamic movements? And do you think we can simply label them all terror groups and shut them down by imprisoning them? That actually makes them more radical. And you begin to radicalize more these huge movements within this constituency of a quarter of the planet's population. We need to speak out. We need to understand that this week, this sentencing, a hook was found guilty, guilty of blasphemy and sentenced to two years. Even the most respected Indonesian experts that I talked to personally this week before the sentencing said, oh, he won't be sentenced. They just wanted him to defeat, to lose in the elections, and it works, and now they're going to drop the charges. I believe them, and they, they believe that, and I trust they felt that that's what's going to happen. And now the opposite happened. It appears that the Indonesian court system is even beginning to not care about its interpretation of its own constitution because it wants to appease large popular movements. So the populism in the West is becoming about national secular identity. While populism in Indonesia is starting to grow towards Islamism and theocracy. And apparently, rather than simply make a little point and get him out of office, the calculus may have been by the court's and the sentencing that, well, he lost, so what do we have to lose? Let's, let's let them have this victory as much as possible and punctuate it with an exclamation point that he gets two years for blasphemy. And sadly, I'm not saying Vice President Pence saw this coming. None of us did. But he declared that Indonesia was the shining example of a Muslim nation that everybody sh- that's Muslim should live up to just a month ago. Just like This week now, thankfully, President Trump is arming the Kurds, and who cares that it upset the Turks? Well, a few weeks ago, he, I think, also ill-advised, called Erdogan and congratulated him right away on the win on that referendum, which was a horrific loss for freedom and liberty. 
So there are a lot of things happening here that we need to get our head on right about what's right and what's wrong and what's headed in the right direction versus what's headed south. And I will tell you that the defeat of Islamism, wherever it may be, will make the world safer. But I think just as we see in Turkey, as we saw in Egypt with the Brotherhood coming power, as we've seen in Saudi Arabia with the Wahhabis, as we see in Iran with the rise of the Khomeinist, ultimately the rise of Islamism will mean its own defeat. So Indonesia, while it's been in many ways one of the more tolerant, pluralistic, Muslim-majority countries in the planet, will need to suffer some losses to Islamism in order to regroup and, and reassess into the 21st century what it means to be free, liberal, and secular, and nationalistically Indonesian. It's going to have to revisit that. And I think it's going to take larger stimuli to do that. When we come back, we'll finish the conversation about Indonesia. And last, I'm going to ask you that question. Was Muhammad an Islamist? This is Udi Jasser on Reform This. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-803-6951. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Udi Jasser on Reform This. This is our 53rd week, our beginning of our second year. And this week we were talking about Indonesia. The setback for Governor Ahok, who now is sitting in a prison cell. This hero, this courageous leader who is trying to push the country he loves of Indonesia into supporting the fact that it loves all faiths, all Racist, whatever they may be, equally in Indonesia under its constitution, now paid for that because of the Islamist thugs, the movements of millions that went to the streets, perhaps hundreds of thousands, but regardless, the many that seemed to threaten the government, it threatened them into acquiescence, into weakness. The sentencing of Mr. Basuki, or a hook, was heavier than what prosecutors had even asked for. Rather than the two years probation the prosecutors requested, he was sentenced by the judge to two years in prison. Forget the fact that he was even brought up on charges of blasphemy, an invented crime being horrifying. The reality of his sentence should alarm all people, and not just Christians, not just Americans, but all people, and not just Indonesians. Indonesia has long enjoyed the reputation of being a model of Muslim moderation and pluralism. Yet Islamism is growing. 
the soaring rates of female genital mutilation are growing. To violent protests against authors, against artists, for blasphemy, the country is undergoing an ugly and dangerous radicalization that is hurting, killing, and traumatizing its citizens and leaking across its borders. Now, they will blame if you talk to the moderates like the Nahdud al-Ulama, the scholars' organization that includes 15, 20 million people of Sufi Muslims that are Sunni. If you ask them, they'll say it's because of the external influence of Wahhabism. Well, what are they doing about that? I've asked them when I met with them, why don't you abandon the OIC? The OIC, the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, based out of Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. The mafia of Islamic theocrats and governments and dictators. Why don't they abandon that and stop playing third, fourth fiddle to petro-Islamic theocracy and start to endear themselves to places that, if they are a democracy, share their values? But no, they consider themselves still, even though they're secular and democratic, an Islamic state, I guess, even though President Wahid, the first democratic leader of Indonesia, said that Muslims should have a state of Islam in their heart, but never should ever feel they need an Islamic state. And his book, The Illusion of the Islamic State, is a testament to the way Muslims can reject political Islam. But that's President Abdurrahman Wahid. And his legacy from the 90s appears to be withering on the vine. I think Ehok's case has again proven that the nation is on the front lines of this global existential battle against Islamism. It is important that every one of us encourage Indonesians to challenge their religious establishments, like established Sufi leaders like Nahdul Ulama to take swift and bold action to condemn and disempower those who support and promote punishments for blasphemy, apostasy, or other speech crimes, quote-unquote. And they should demand, more importantly, that their governments do the same. As I said, I visited Indonesia during my time on the U.S. Commission on Religious Freedom. It is better than this. It can become better again. And this evil does not represent them. Their government, their people must do better to protect and represent the will of its people. We'll follow this case and continue to report on it to you at this podcast. Reform this. Last, the question I get asked a lot is, was the Prophet Muhammad... An Islamist. Zudi, you're, you're, you're not an Islamist, so if you believe the Prophet's example is something your kids should emulate, then shouldn't he be an Islamist? Well, we'll probably need to spend other segments talking about this at another episode, but this is so important. I, I wanted to touch on it this week. Salafism, the belief of looking backwards. Yes, if you're a Salafi, there's no way you can be anything but an Islamist. And the answer to the question, was Muhammad an Islamist? Yes, he was. Was he a terrorist? Absolutely not, in the narrative that I believe. 
And I know many of you may disagree, but listen, you cannot reform Islam or have a humble faith of integrity and character in which you believe the messenger that God chose to relay that message somehow was an evil person. Now, there's no doubt that as Muhammad, as he was the head of a military, the head of state, and the messenger of God's word, those three roles mixed together made him an Islamist. But one of the reasons I would give him a pass is that there are times in the Quran in which God tells the Prophet Muhammad, here in doing this with your Muslim community, with the Ummah, you have erred, and this is what should be done. So, in the initial establishment of an Islamic community, of the early Ummah, it needed God's direction. And that corrective force in which God directly corrected is no longer about reason. It's about getting correction from God. Hey, if anyone can prove to me that God is giving them a direct message as we believe the prophet did or other messengers, Jesus, Abraham, we believe as Muslims that Muhammad was the seal of the prophets, the last and final prophet. But if I lived at the time of Jesus or at the time of Abraham, would I want to separate church and state or synagogue and state? No, I wouldn't. He was getting direct message from God. I would listen to the rules that he passed. But again, you cannot have an ahistorical approach. The Salafists look back. Salaf means friends of the prophet. They do not look forward. So the hypocrisy of the question, is Muhammad an Islamist? The hypocrisy of the question is that, well, did Muhammad use computers? Did Muhammad use medical science? Did he drive a car? All these things that are related to technology, political science evolved also. That evolution of political science then teaches us in a historical approach to religion, just as it took Christendom, 1776, if not 89, 1789, until there was a constitution that rendered under Caesar what is Caesar, under God's what is God's. Yes, that's what the scripture says, but it took a while till they understood that. And would you hold the Prophet Muhammad accountable in 7th century Arabia to a secularism, to a science, a political science in which true reason, liberty, and freedom existed? with no example anywhere else on the planet from which to draw from? I am not one of those that, and this is again going to be heresy, but I am not one of those that believes that the Prophet Muhammad was illiterate. He was a successful businessman. Now, the Arabic of the Quran is beyond any of the spoken Arabic of even the educated intellectuals of the middle of Saudi, the Arabian Peninsula, or the Najd, if you will. Personally, as a Muslim, I don't believe anyone at the time could have written that script. I do believe that it proves its authenticity in and of its own weight. And this is, again, a Muslim belief. 
and the authenticity of the Arabic scripture. Any interpretation or translation or contextualization of it is human. So it's not what would the Prophet do in 7th century. He was an Islamist in 620 CE. But if the Prophet were alive today and to see the beauty and the success of Western free nations, to see what God did in blessing the United States of America with not only its founding fathers, but with the growth and maturity after its civil war, after its civil rights movement, and with a country that has truly been a beacon of freedom. I think ultimately, if the Prophet was alive today, he'd reject Islamism and he'd say that modernity is a calling that we need to accept in this age of reason against the Islamist history and example that he had in the past. So we would not be Salafis to look back and try to reproduce what the Prophet did, but look forward and invent and create new systems that allow us to be close to God personally, but have governments and have leaders that can not necessarily have to be Muslim, a state that's not Islamic, but is universal. The Ummah is no longer just Muslim, but it is all of God's creations on earth is one Ummah or faith community. And we've talked, there's so much more to talk about what needs to be reformed. But looking forward, I believe if the Prophet were alive today, he would not be an Islamist. He would reject Islamism. That is the debate now. Is that realistic? Not today, I think. Obviously, I'm in a minority. Our Muslim reform movement leaders believe that we are right. We are ready to take on the Islamist and reject Especially most of their Islamism comes from hadith or conversations that are supposedly part of the prophetic conversations. And yet, many of us believe that those are contrived, they're not authentic. And that's where most of the debate is. And yet, there are some debates, obviously, about certain passages in the Quran. And we'll talk about that in future episodes, as I have in some past ones. But was the Prophet an Islamist? I think the question is, would he be? Would he accept Islamism? Would he endorse the Muslim Brotherhood Party or Jamaat Islami or the Khomeinists in 2017? I think he would not only reject them, he would work actively to destroy their ideas, to defeat them through reason, to express that their apologetics or even the American ones like Shadi Hamid and his Islamic exceptionalism, I believe that the Prophet Muhammad would reject that and say that we don't have a monopoly as Muslims on exceptionalism, that exceptionalism is about freedom and liberty, like American exceptionalism. That's not faith-based. Faith-based living is under God, not under a religion specifically. And that's simply personal. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining me this week. And we look. I look forward, as I hope you do, to another wonderful year on Reform This. Tell your friends, share this on Twitter, Dr. Zudi Jasser, Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R is my Twitter handle. This program has a Twitter handle at Reform This Radio. Reform This Radio. Follow me. Share this on Facebook. And we'll be back next week on Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. God bless. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network.